You're listening to the Irish Times. Dear Irish Times. We've got mail. We've got mail, Mary. Mary Hannigan is here helping me out with the Added Time podcast again this week. Um, and we do. We have mail. Well, we, be, being the podcast, don't particularly have mail. Um, but the Irish Times got a lot of mail Book and a lot of, lot of phone calls. Mm. Irate. It would be the mood on Monday morning because our Grand Slam poster, there was a Grand Slam last weekend. I don't know if you heard. No. Well, you see, you missed the poster. No. That's the problem. Um, Our Grand Slam uh, commemorative poster on Monday morning didn't have Ireland captain Rory Best in it. Now, the reasons for this are are too uh, arcane to go into. It's to do with not being able to find a a photograph that didn't have various words in it that would have got us in trouble with some lawyers. But anyway, uh, it still annoyed an awful lot of people. But the best thing... a picture of the moon landing without Neil Armstrong, really? You could say that, or... On a par. Like, maybe, yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah, you could, I guess. Or take that without Gary Barlow, that kind of thing. <laughs> the, the, the first comparison uh, ever made between Rory Best and Gary Barlow. <laughs> There's a Venn diagram. The, them two and Neil Armstrong. Anyway... Dear Irish Times, I am so disappointed that the poster you supplied with the printed Irish Times today does not include the captain. Do the hand and knee to the right belong to him? So disappointed. I imagine there's a reason other than sloppy photography or processing, but surely editing could have sorted it out. The image is not complete without Rory Best. Mm -hmm. Now, I love this. This is a letter from a lovely lady uh, who sent it in uh, on Monday morning. Hilariously, and this is the fun part of it, that... uh, (laughs) One of our uh, editorial staff upstairs wrote back to her and said, unfortunately, due to copyright issues, we were unable to use the images of the team celebrating on the podium for the poster. While the dressing room photograph didn't have the entire squad, it unquestionably conveyed the overwhelming joy of the moment and the achievement itself. I can assure you that Rory Best was not cropped out of the image. (laughs) I suspect he may have been doing media when the photograph was taken. And there, Mary, there is where most of these uh, correspondence will end. Will end. But they, it is, they are usually <laughs> left on that bombshell. But our correspondent writes again. <laughs> Thank you very much for the reply. But despite what you've been told, I am not convinced. <laughs> From watching many lineouts over the years, we've all grown familiar with Rory Best's hands, and they are easily recognised at this stage. Or maybe whoever was cropped out had very similar hands. <laughs> Again, thank you for the reply. <laughs> so Rory's hands are easily recognisable. By this like, lady, at least. Play. She has decided that we're lying to her. Because I think all rugby hands look like any rugby hands. They're just, you know, hands. That's very handest of you. <laughs> surely you... She'll surely... be mucky fingers, like, from all the ball chucking. Fair play to her. Well, she she does believe that we are not, and, and it, it is entirely apt that you raised the moon landings earlier. <laughs> she is uh, convinced that we uh, Conspiracy are... Conspiracy kind of thing. Yeah, okay. that we are the, the Illuminati in the mm. Irish Times are keeping um, the Ireland captain out of this <laughs> carry-on. She should be sent a life-size Rory cardboard cutout for that. I Indeed, think. and Rory, and, and, get, and get Rory to bring them along, bring exactly, along to her. Exactly, exactly. Perfect. I wonder do we have any pull with Rory Best? I guess since we left mm. him out of the Grand Slam poster, well, probably it's not. Probably over between us. Yeah, <laughs> I'd imagine. Well, that was that was last week's uh, 
enjoyment. Uh, the sport around this weekend, uh, there isn't anything so uh, earth-shattering as the Grand Slam game, but we do indeed have an Irish representative side playing uh, tonight. Uh, the soccer team is over in Turkey, as is Armand on the ground, Emmett Malone. Emmett, it's been a, an interesting six months or so since the Denmark game, and uh, here we are again. You've been to plenty of these first days back at school. Um, is this any different to the ones you've been to before? <laughs> it's pretty similar, really, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, there's some established faces um, missing, there's some new faces in, and there's a lot of people talking about how it's a new beginning. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's grand. It's, it's, it's nice. You know, there's always a kind of spirit of optimism, you know. I mean... Um, the media tend to be still kind of, you know, picking over the bones of uh, however badly things went wrong uh, a few months back. And mm. the players, being players, of, uh, are just looking forward and moving on and talking about um, and talking about the challenges to be embraced. And uh, there's new players here talking about trying to play their way into the team. Or in some cases, I think that's probably, you know, overly optimistic and they're realistic enough to say, well, you know, we want to catch the eye and maybe be, you know, considered one for the future. And uh, and there's 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 a lot of uh, experienced heads talking about how um, how these new guys are going to help Ireland you know to a brighter new start and mm. future and uh, it's 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 good it's always there's a nice atmosphere around it you know and um, and it's a decent setting and um, and it's going to be an interesting game because I think Turkey are in a sort of similar situation so everybody's kind of looking for for uh, positives out of tomorrow out of out of uh, tonight's game I should say yeah, I'm getting mixed up about what day it is but um, <laughs> yeah it's uh, that's going to sound like it's pre-recorded now but uh, <laughs> but um, it's just just that I've lost track of, of time and space but um, yeah, look, it's good. It's 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 a it's a it's a decent occasion after what was a major major kind of downer in, in against Denmark. It's been an, an oddly eventful uh, interim period for the management as well. You know, it, it's sometimes they change in between campaigns, and sure. sometimes all that sort of stuff happens. Like plenty happened with with O'Neill yeah. uh, since then. Is there is there any remnant of that? No, not much. Uh, a couple of the English lads who uh, are here covering the, the game for uh, uh, papers across the way uh, hadn't really had the opportunity to um, to broach the subject of uh, of O'Neill's um, contact with Stoke, and so they kind of tried to bring it up again and uh, got fairly short shrift. Uh, the Irish lads who had been at the draw, I wasn't there, but the, the draw for the Nations League, a lot of them had tried to bring it up then, and um, and 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 got fairly short shrift then. Mm. So uh, uh, so you know it's been it, you know it's been put to bed somewhat. Um, O'Neill has been in in good form. Somebody yesterday did try to bring up um, you know go all the way back to uh, the Denmark defeat and how much of a radical kind of overhaul was required, and um, and O'Neill sought to kind of knock that on the head. It's been the one sort of slightly. But only very slightly touchy uh, moment in the week. Um, the rest of the time, O'Neill has been has been in good form, very positive, um, talking about rebuilding the squad, and, and and that's really been the kind of mood that's been embraced by both sides here, I guess, for the most part. That this is really at the start of something rather than the than the kind of epilogue. I guess as well, though, <laughs> there is plenty of work to be done on that front. So I suppose that makes it easy enough to to move on. Like there is. There is a yeah. fair amount of rebuilding to be done, but at the same time, you know, um, are are we all that certain that that there is the the material there to do all the rebuilding? 
Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, I think if um, if you were you know working with a, 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 a you know a big uh, a big pool of talent and you were able to you know spend the, the winter months after Denmark and realize we've really got to we've got to really kind of change things here, um, cast our net far and and bring in a bunch of new talent and and, and really start again, then uh, then that this would be something quite dramatic. Uh, it's not that. It's not that because we don't have that pool of talent. And uh, so what we you know what we are doing is. We're we're certainly, certainly auditioning uh, for a new goal scorer. Uh, Shane Long's had a crack at it, and it hasn't really worked out for him. Um, we're always hoping that uh, that he's going to recover his his form and and start scoring goals again. But but I you know I don't doubt that that the yeah, Joe Maguire for for instance will get a get a get, get a some sort of uh, look in tonight, and I'm probably Scott Hogan at some point as well. Um, I think in central midfield there are vacancies there, uh, and so we, you know we Horahan we've seen. Around to some extent already, and O'Kane, but I think we might well see them uh, again. And Alan Brown has, has been training quite well, in, in you know this week. Um, I, you know, I, look, I just think there are opportunities in, in in sort of key areas. The goalkeeping situation is sort of irrelevant here because Colin Doyle is set to start, but you know, there's there's not really any chance that that he's going to display one. Um, I think we might see Kieran O'Hara at some stage uh, as one for the future. He's he's very young. He's at Manchester United. Just got a new contract. There. When, when I think there had been a sense at the start of the season that maybe, you know, um, from a distance, and it's very difficult to tell what's going on behind the scenes, that maybe there was a sense that that, that he was that he wasn't progressing mm. at the club, but then they gave him a new deal and um uh, you know he will be seen as as one for the future and, and and might get a run out tonight. But you know I think it is in that central midfield area that that we're we're looking at uh, possibly hoping that somebody will kind of you know make enough of an impact to to be seen as one for the coming campaign. I mean James McCarthy's had a, a lot of injury problems. Uh, Glenn Whelan, you know, essentially looks to be gone. It hasn't been announced, but uh, uh, O'Neill was asked about him the other day and and really didn't see, sound like he he saw him as as still being un, under consideration. Harry Arthur isn't here this time will be back I, I presume but um, uh, but you know look you're, you, you, and I think there's pop, pop, you know some some kind of trying, trying options out on the left hand side as well where Cyrus and Chris, Cyrus Christie and Matt Doherty will probably get get, get a go but um, you know look we're, we're still going to be looking at Darren Randolph uh, most likely back in the autumn Seamus Coleman um, you know Long will still be featuring in there McLean the centre half partnership of, of Duffy and maybe not Clark tonight because he's been carrying an injury through the week but um, that sort of situation is going to stay the same yeah and there was uh, um, I guess the early part of the week there was a lot of chat around uh, Declan Rice are we likely to see him tonight yeah I think so I think for sure yeah yeah uh, there's every chance that he'll start um as the, the holding midfielder this evening it's not entirely clear what sort of formation that um uh O'Neill will start with I think he wants to give um he wants to give give a, a kind of three at the back and wing backs uh, a, a go at some stage whether he starts with it or switches to it later in the game uh, is up for grabs but I think um, I think if, if he starts with it there's every chance that Rice will start in uh, as a, a sole holding midfielder um, if it's four at the back you know it's less clear that Rice will actually start but I think he will be involved Um O'Neill spoke a couple of weeks ago when I think when he was naming the squad about not wanting to put these young players, uh, the, the English-born players who might still be slightly undecided about their international futures in a position where they felt under pressure. Um, 
I mean, you know, we've we've obviously seen instances of this before. Mm. We saw the Grealish case um, where he didn't want to be involved in competitive squads because it would it, it, it would decide the issue for him. But Rice then came out on Sunday night and talked very strongly about how he didn't feel there was an issue, uh, a decision to be made. He feels Irish. He feels part of this squad. And I think that is probably... Um, you know, it it may well have an effect of of accelerating his status. You know that that he gets a cap tonight and that he uh, that he, he features in in one of the competitive games, at least one of or more of the competitive games in the autumn. Um, I think he's seen as a, a a very strong prospect. He's made immense progress over the last year. That seemed a slightly odd one for me uh, the other night, Emmett. That he, for somebody who was so forceful about it. Um, I I had to kind of wonder where where was the confusion beforehand there. On whose part? On, on, on or uh, you know the, the, or, if there or, if there was all Rice. this confusion around whether Rice was going to declare for Ireland or not, um, was it just that he had never been asked before, or I, I it was just it just seemed odd to me that that uh, for somebody who was so you know adamant about it that there was no conversation that it it well, it, it had uh, even been up in the air before that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he didn't really feature in, in O'Neill's plans in the last campaign. He was still very young. He only really came into the West Ham. Uh, he made a senior competitive West Ham debut, I think, on the last day of last season. So it was too early for him to really feature in, in, in those plans. Then there's no competitive games. And uh, O'Neill is is um, is bringing him into this squad on the basis that it's friendly and it's not going to decide anything. But if you remember, I mean, Grealish, he, he attempted to uh, name Grealish at one stage in a squad and Grealish then turned down the the, the call up, yeah. um, and uh, and there was this this scene where we were all uh, out in the headquarters of Electricity, I think, and uh, there was a delay to the naming of the squad because they were amending the sheets because uh, Grealish wasn't going to be in it, and uh, and I think O'Neill wanted to avoid that situation, and he didn't want particularly to 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 bring the uh, the, the the issue to a head with the player. So look, yeah, it, it is interesting. It's an interesting one. I think O'Neill treads lightly in these situations because he does. Doesn't want to um, to prematurely um, uh, bring something to a head, but I but I think in in Rice's head there seemed to be no doubt at all. Now that said, he was talking to us the other night, and when he talked about he was being asked about approaches from the English FA, um, he did say tw- use the word yet twice um, right. <laughs> in terms of that there had been no approach yet. Now that's not to say he was absolutely clear. That he saw his future with Ireland, he said that if Isaitl or anybody else in the English FA approached him, um, that there would be no question of him entertaining the idea of a switch. But maybe there is that slight bit of you know hedging on on, on everybody's part. But I, look, I, you know, I, I do think that 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 Rice was was very clear about this. It's possible that you know you look back over some of the the conversations that Grealish had that that clarity wasn't quite there. There are other differences in the two cases, um, but um, and and we've obviously had then the the confusion this week over Liam Kelly as well. So course, um, yeah. it's a very live issue. Uh, a lot depends in, 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 in how a manager is perceived publicly and in the media and stuff like that as to how successfully uh, he delivers these players, really, and um, and the case of Kelly, where we now have a suggestion that Kelly is in fact, you know, still open to the idea of, of playing for Ireland, mm-hmm. and there is maybe an injury or maybe not. You know, there's a vagueness here. 
there's a game. I mean, Gary Breen has a piece, I think, in The Sun today, and I think it's a, it's a really a really nice and interesting piece where he's just talking about this the, the, the clarity that he felt over feeling Irish from a very early age. And, um, and I think that is the ideal in these situations, that you want fellas who, you know, if FIFA and medical science could get us to the point where we could just look into a player's heart and know, <laughs> Indeed, and know, yeah. and know who he deep down wanted to play for, then that would be the ideal way of... of um, of sorting this out, I, I, he's talking about Breen is talking about the idea of players changing after they've declared for one country, and I understand that, but I also understand why the rules were changed because there was particularly, say, in France, a lot of uh, players, uh, young players of African ancestry, playing for France, then not getting a look in at senior level, and and they wanted to allow them the option of then declaring for for the African countries that their parents or grandparents had come from, and I think that's I think that's nice. I think that in a lot of people's heads there is that kind of you know sense of dual identity. Um, um, but it's it's a difficult one for a manager, and it's also confused by the fact that there are agents and clubs putting pressure on players either to declare for a country simply because they will become, you know, they will gain that international status and that will add to their value or add to their marketability, or on the other hand, that that you know that they you know, abandon one country and play for England because it makes them more marketable again. So it's peer pressure, there's professional pressure, uh, It's and, and that unfortunately has confused what should be, you know, a, a very pure issue. Uh, it's, yeah, it's, and I think it's, you're right. It's I difficult. Think, and I think as well, you're right, like there's pressure comes from, from everywhere. Like when I, I must I frankly admit the first uh, I had ever heard of Liam Kelly was when I saw his name in a headline earlier this week, and when okay. I and when I saw that he 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 was you know saying no, I want to play for England. I was kind of going, well, good for you, lad. You know, fair play to you. Uh, you know, people should do what what is in their heart. It should they should do what what feels natural to them. And then you know later in the week you find that there's confusion that no decision yeah. has been made. You know that maybe yeah. he, got, he got spooked to see his name in headlines. All of that sort of stuff feeds into everything. And and you're exactly right that the pressure comes to bear from all different angles, and all you yeah. want all you want is for people just to be you know comfortable in what they're doing. I yeah no absolutely I completely agree with that. And if Kelly had said you know do you know what lads you know I was 16 17 I got called I think it was 19 played under 19 under 21 level for us I was 17 18 and I got called into an Irish squad and. You know, I have links to the family, you know, and I have Irish relatives, and I thought it'd be a nice thing to do. But you know what? Deep down, you know, I, I, England is who I want to play for. You absolutely have one hundred percent respect for that. Um, I think that O'Neill, O'Neill, when he was talking about it, pitch side, kind of the sense of him was that that you know one of the aspects from this, from his point of view was that. You know, there was a sense, and he did not say this, so I, you know, perhaps I have to say I'm perhaps I'm I'm, I'm overinterpreting, but there there was an air of skepticism that um, that he would ever get called up for England, like that he's holding out for something that's not going to happen. Um, but you would admire a player for doing that, you know, like that that's that's what's in his heart, you know, you either play, and this is clearly at the at the, the very heart of the issue um, between the two O'Neills, uh, Michael and, and Martin, and uh, the issue of players in 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 Northern Ireland declaring for the Republic, where in in, in several cases, I've you know I've certainly met people who were not professional footballers who you know had they been would never you know born in in the six counties would never have dreamt of wanting to play for Northern Ireland mm. and um, and that's just the reality of, of of the situation on our island and uh, and so look it's it's there's loads of gray here gray areas here and loads of of, of clear ones and what Michael O'Neill was saying that that you know in some way the FAI and the Republic of Ireland were depriving these lads. Of an international career by accepting their defection at an early age, and and uh, you know that that um, once they sign that international transfer form, that they can't you know switch back again. Then 
but for some of them, this is what they want. They identify with playing for the Republic of Ireland, or they, in our case, you know, players. Ultimately, when it push comes to shove, they identify with playing for England, and that's only right. That that is at its essence what international football is supposed to be yeah. about, and yet it's become confused by so many other issues. Indeed. Well, uh, for the minute, we have a, a game uh, in Turkey to think about tonight, and uh, hopefully it all goes well. Emma, thanks a million for uh, taking the call, and uh, enjoy the game. Cheers, Malky. Thanks very much. I thought Mary was in to contribute, but no. She is, but she, like, I, I need a, I need a, like, the, at the point of a bayonet, I, I get yeah. her to talk here. My, my chief role is to look after the stopwatch on the phone. That's really why he needs me in here. And I'm happy oh, with good. that. Way better. Are you, are you Pat today? Is that what it is? Yes. Yeah. yes. Oh, okay. All right, okay. Pat Cheers. is in Malta. Uh, yeah. Uh, Mary, ah, yeah, yeah, okay. So, Mary, uh, Mary's so. kind of in charge of morale around here. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, that's my chief role. <laughs> yeah. Keep things Jesus, there, there, should be a, there should be a webcam for that. <laughs> <laughs> with, with kind of like the words chirpy sidekick floating <laughs> in the air and an arrow pointing at you, you know? Are you going off to do a marathon now or something? Oh, those days are well gone. Are yeah, they? you haven't seen it. That, 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 Mary, is the clearest indication we've had so far of how long it is since you've seen it. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Uh, anyway, listen, enjoy. So listen, goes yeah, well. look, I'll talk to you, talk talk to you soon. soon, I hope. Yeah, listen, take care. In the Irish Times weekend, what drives an ordinary Irish man to take up arms in Syria? We meet the Irish civilian who fought in the country's bitter war. The coffee shop has become the centre of Irish social life. Jennifer O'Connell explores the craze behind the little beverage and relive last weekend's rugby triumph as Jerry Thornley chats to fans, players and coaches. The Irish Times weekend. Your weekend's in good hands. It's 7.39. Well, it's the one I'll be asking on a question of sport in years to come. The boat race 2012. What happened next? That might be a swimmer, maybe. The boat race has come to an end. No, it's a swimmer. All the Cambridge no, men are in. No, 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 it's a swimmer. No, so it's um, maybe a protester. It's an outside agency. Both crews have got their hands up. This is a sensational happening. Well, Sir Matthew Pinsent, as it happened, called it right. A protester, Trenton Oldfield, a 35-year-old Australian, was fished from the Thames after disrupting the race. And Trenton Oldfield is? The most famous boat race protester against elitism <laughs> ever. Yes, because what we're going to be watching this weekend, Mary, apart from all the stuff we're talking about, is the boat race. The boat race. Or indeed... The boat races. Yes. As it's called now. Since 2015, the women have been allowed, you know, do their thing on the same course. There you go. And are even shown on telly now. So Be the it's, Lord. It's gone mad. So it's the 164th boat race. A couple of world wars buggered it up for a while. Mm-hmm. It would have been way more. But Trenton, I think, is the most famous ever, really. And he didn't even actually sit in a boat. He was protesting against the elitism of the boat race and inequality and all that kind of thing. So he swam into sort of the middle of the race. And how he wasn't decapitated, we will never know. Well, as the clip uh, showed there, I, I think the two crews put their their hands in the air as a form of surrender. They I did. guess they did really. more more so than anything else, and that that was they that was how have, he escaped death. They might have thought he was a submarine or something <laughs> at first, and then, then realised he was kind of a, a frogman. Isn't that what they call it? A frogman. Frog yeah. 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 So yeah, Trenton had um, he had a blog called "Elitism Leads to Tyranny," and in Catchy. that yeah. So he used to give advice on his blog, like how you would kind of tackle elitism and kind of all that kind of thing. But sort of strange advice. Like one of um, his bits of advice was, if you are a taxi driver, take your passenger the slowest and most expensive route possible. This, so he kind of assumed... Uh, what's his point? 
His point was that anyone who ever used a taxi was a member of the elite. And also, if you work in a restaurant, he mm-hmm. advised that you don't kind of serve the correct food or you leave it sitting around the kitchen for a while to get cold. So this so, is this is all very uh, uh, low grade fight club yeah, stuff, you uh, know, you yeah, know, kind of yeah. be, being the glitch in the system. Yeah. But it was quite a leap from, say, serving food cold to jumping into the dams, <laughs> risking having your head knocked off. So I found uh, A. A. Gill, uh, the late, great A. Yeah. A. Gill, wrote about uh, tre- dear old Trenton at the time. And he says, I don't know about you, but I feel terribly let down by the quality of our protesters at the moment. This one, Trenton Thingy, said that he felt himself following in the hoofsteps of Emily Davison, <laughs> who at the 1913 Derby stood in front of the King's Horse and shouted, votes for women, and died of horrific injuries four days later. Throwing yourself in front of the boat race is a Monty Python sketch. <laughs> he was also compared to Rosa Parks, which I thought was mm. a bit of a stretch. Yeah, let's, let's calm down a little yeah. bit. Yeah. But he got a five-year prison sentence for his troubles. So he's been quite quiet since. But who knows, he may <laughs> pop up again this weekend. We who have we got this year? Well, Same two teams. Oxford and <laughs> <laughs> <Me> too. <laughs> In terms of participants. Right? In participants. Well, the thing is that, uh, like the big news this week on the crew news front, I was going to say team news, um, which w- was a bit of a problem for the boat race because the boat race people have been trying to sort of get away from the whole elitism kind of thing. They launched a project last month um, offering the 50 or so state schools around the boat race course access to rowing facilities. Indeed. Because um, so far, like 90% of schools are registered to compete in rowing in the UK are private schools. So so they've been making this effort. And then the crew news comes out this week. And it was a bit of a surprise on the Oxford side um, by, by the inclusion of this fella, Benedict Aldous. Sure. Why is there never like an Archie Duckworth or something <laughs> in the boat race? Like I was looking through the other names. Like there's a Felix, there's a Hugo, there's a Zachary. You know, there's just never an Archie. <laughs> so yeah, so this fella has been included in the Oxford uh, crew. And there's a bit of controversy because it was revealed, I think around December, that um, one time he was going to a bop, and that's the word they used in Oxford, and he chose to dress as a member of the Ku Klux Klan. Indeed. And the fact you throw in his father is a banker. They live in a three million uh, pound home in Basingstoke. Benedict went to Eton. He's called Benedict. He's not called Ben or Benny. (laughs) You know, all these efforts to kind of show, no, this isn't like an elitist bride's head revisited kind of a thing. bit banjaxed by Benedict and his antics. Why why is it these people that, um, why do they think things like the clan? Hmm. and, you know, dressing up as a hilarious old Nazi. Why is that funny? I don't know. Wasn't it pr- which one of the princes? Didn't he do that? Good old Harry his? did that yeah. for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I say for a while. Certainly for a night. One they, or two a bop that he went to. They, he, yeah, they yeah. just think it's a chuckle-heavy thing. I, I don't know. I don't really get it. <laughs> but yeah, Pete, so... Like this time every year, we will get acres of column inches about the elitism of the boat mm. race to the point where you almost feel sorry for the boat race. Uh, Barney Roney in the Guardian a while back um, 
talked about the boat race being infected with the lingering toxins of something feudal, moth-eaten and class-based. It's essentially the period costume Dickens' adaptation of the sports world. And in Brexit Britain, what better for us to gather around of a Saturday than than something like that? Well, I kind of think it's a bit the sort of great British bake-off of sport, you know, it's like nothing's changed, you know, and in this world of craziness, there's a little bit of stability, unless it's really windy and they all... And they, they keel over and, and, yeah, and, and fall in. Or yeah. another Trenton arrives. Then it's, it's chaos, but... Uh, I did yeah. see, I did read during the week that uh, one of the rowers this year is the tallest man ever to That's take right. part in the boat race. Six foot ten. A chap called James Letton. That's right. Who uh, is American who never rode in his life really? uh, before 2010 right. when he saw the Winklevoss twins wow. famous from uh, yeah. uh, the Facebook movie yeah. um, looked at them and saw hey I'm, I'm tall and strapping like them <laughs> uh, maybe I should do this and he's realised his well I was going to say his live stream but his, his eight year dream we'll say right. of uh, getting into the boat race and he yeah exactly six foot ten that's quite a contrast then with the Cox, who tends to be quite. about three foot one yeah. quite often. <laughs> and the Cox for, I forget which one of them this year, he's Zachary something or other. Um, he's doing a master's in musicology. And he's mainly his thing is he conducts orchestras. So he spoke very nicely this week about how being a Cox is exactly the same as being a conductor <laughs> of an orchestra. He's talking about rhythms and all this kind of thing. So, um, so yeah, so there's about, there's, so Zach, about three foot two maybe. Good old Zach. big lad. It's, it's so quite a range. Yeah, they're an average of six foot between them. <laughs> Excellent. So that's what we'll be watching uh, on Saturday. Uh, over the weekend, there's uh, actually plenty of GAA on. The leagues are coming to their apex um, in the football league the top game there's really only one game that matters up in Division 1 Mayo are playing Donegal up in Donegal uh, Keith Duggan this is a, a big game for both sides in a way whoever loses uh, will get relegated if it's a draw Mayo stay up the league hasn't gone exactly to plan for either of them, but both of them will want to stay in the league. Yeah, I think it. I think it has huge significance in a way for 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 both counties. Um, I just I just feel that neither of them will will, will fancy dropping into Division Two. Um, it's becoming increasingly clear that Division Two is a really hard division to get out of. If you look at Galway this year, I mean they've taken Division One by storm, but they spent quite a few seasons just struggling to get out of that. Uh, out of that second tier and once you, once you drop into it it can be quite hard to climb out again um, Mayo are obviously looking to preserve a you know a 20 year um, uh, stay in, in, in Division 1 um, they've kind of managed to do that without really being particularly interested in the league but I think they'll be they'll really be uh, sort of fighting to get their season started on Sunday mm. and you're, the point you make actually about getting out of Division 2 is, is, is very true like you even look at somebody like Cork you know the the, the there's the odd county that, that drops into it and plays like they have no business being there. I think like the odd time Tyrone go down into it, they take it as an affront and get out of it very quickly. But like Cork, you know, Cork had a fantastic league record in Division 1 before they dropped to Division 2. And it's just the, like they're running in treacle down there at the minute. Exactly. I mean, it's only a couple of years ago since they were in a, in a Division 1 final. Um, Mead also are, are you know, they're, they're, they're at the wrong in Division 2 right now. So, it's just not a place you wanna you you, you wanna fall into, um, and uh, I mean Donegal have kind of they've kind of yo-yoed up and down over the last few years, 
and they've they've had some impressive games in in in, in this league without really getting the results. Um, so really, Sunday is a day for them to sort of back themselves and actually try and try try and try and finish the game out with a result. Yeah, Sean, that's a good point Keith makes. That you know, Donegal have have come through the league not playing particularly badly, and and actually, you know, young team finding a few players, all that sort of stuff. Uh, and yet they're the team that needs the the win on Sunday. Like a draw may, will do Mayo fine because Mayo, despite not even playing particularly well all through the league, have got a couple of results the right way. Yeah, they they started the league well by beating Monaghan, and you know that the, the value of that increased as the campaign went mm-hmm. on because Monaghan did well, so that gave them a good start. Uh, Donegal have performed in most of their their matches, but not got the results, which is not unusual for a. You know, for a newish team, for a team that's been run in, but uh, I, th- I think it'll be interesting. I agree with Keith. It's it's a very significant um, situation because Mayo, although they they have tended uh, in the last couple of years to, you know, amble through the league and and pull out of the tailspin at the end if they're in trouble. Uh, I don't think it'll be a good sign for them to, to get relegated. I mean, you can argue that look, we do our championship thing regardless of how we go in the league. But, you know, if you look at a, a, a team like uh, Mickey Hart's uh, Tyrone, you know, in the last decade, which always valued the, the league, uh, it seemed, you know, in, in, in 2010 when they got relegated that it mightn't be a big deal. But, you know, it, it probably was. Yeah. Uh, you know, that it, they, they it, haven't returned it had, as a exactly, championship it had, force. It had a, a sort of an insidious effect yeah. on them. As and they and it, marked, it marked probably, you know, the decline uh, of them as, as you know, mm-hmm. punching at the very top All-Ireland winning weight. And, you know, Mayo, although they haven't, you know, uh, lit many fires in the league in recent times, it's invaluable to be playing the top teams in the spring, you know. And I know they haven't brought through a whole pile of new players, but it's good for running your, t- your your team in. I'd say they'd be pretty anxious not to end up getting relegated. As Keith said, it's happened to Donegal before. They're a, they're a younger team. They possibly would cope with it a, a bit better. There is a different point mm. in the development cycle than, than than Mayo, but it's very interesting. What about this Donegal team, uh, Keith? The, you know, they had a decent league early on last year as well. Um, they, there's still there's a transition still going on there between getting younger guys in, getting older older guys to hang on. Well, yeah, exactly. And I mean, it's it's interesting you say that Maliki. Uh, like last year, their their league kind of came to a shuddering halt against Mayo uh, in much the same circumstances when Mayo needed a result. Um, I don't know if you remember that game, but they they, they were going really really well for 50 minutes, and then Mayo brought in Donald mm. Vaughan, Aidan O'Shea, etc., and they just they just ground. Donegal down. They, yeah, they, they just it was a kind of, of like, uh, not not today, lads. Not yeah, today, Sunday. Kind of, like kind of thing, coming yeah. in to break up a kind of a scuffle on a on a dance floor. You know that was that, um, and and it, it just it just ended. But you know that day, Mayo had Harrison, Keegan, Vaughan, Aidan O'Shea. I think Keith Higgins was there. He's a doubt for for this weekend. Killian O'Connor was there. Um, Aidan O'Shea is the only one of those who will be available uh, mm. this weekend. So they're really stretched in terms of um, in terms of repeating that result. Donegal, I mean, if you look at the way they've lined out, I mean, Declan Bonner, he's really, really kind of experimented game to game. Um, and I think that, um, you know, Neil McGee is primed to make a start uh, on Sunday. He'll, he'll really sort of add substance to that to that full back line, which was very inexperienced against Monaghan. Um, obviously, Patrick McBearty is, is a loss, and he, he was in 
he was in outstanding form in the early part of the league. But I really think that his absence might actually help Donegal in the long run, or rather in, in, in the short term, because it, it, they need to find what they can do without him. You know, it, it had really kind of, everything was running through him, and, you know, maybe in terms of championship preparation, that, that might have been a good thing. It's true. I mean, there are other teams. I mean, I, I think of Monaghan. I haven't really had Conor McManus at full tilt for the for the whole of this league, and I think it's long overdue for them. You know, to try have to try and get through some games without him, or and you know spread spread that job around. Um, and it'd be it as you say, it may not feel like it going into this game because a, a fit Patrick McBearty. Uh, available for for Donegal would certainly you know I'd I'd imagine it'd be the difference here on Sunday, but um, as you say in the long run, it might be no harm to them. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, Michael Murphy as well. You know, it took him a game or two to to sort of ease into his stride, but there were signs against Monaghan that he's approaching that, so they'll be expecting. Hoping for a big game for him on from him on, on on Sunday, I imagine. Well, yeah, yeah, that's the big uh, game in Division One of the football on Sunday. The, down the divisions, there's a, a couple of games that matter certainly in, in Division Two and a, at the low end of Division Three. But we'll move on to hurling um, for the weekend. The games that were put off last weekend that go ahead this weekend, Sean uh, Tipperary in Dublin uh, is in Croke Park on Sunday, but the one down in Wexford on Saturday afternoon. Wexford against Galway, more or less the the first serious game of the year um, that that you can both teams really have to sort of hang their hat on. Yes, you look at last year. We're actually now at the year's anniversary of when Galway first went up the gears last year mm. in the overcoming a big deficit against Waterford in, in Salt Hill Indeed. to win the quarter-final yeah. and then just go from there mm. through the league, the Leinster Championship, the All-Ireland Championship, winning everything as as they went. Uh, it would be hard to say that they're in, they, they look as if they're in that sort of mm. uh, mood at the, at the moment. Uh, it's been a humdrum sort of league. You know, the advantage, of, the often stated advantage in Division 1B is that, you know, you don't have to go flat out and you can look at some new players and you can ease other players back into things. But they don't look at the stage they were at last year, whereas Wexford uh, have had a, a good league, they've good results, they're in the quarterfinal and they will be keen to kick on. I, I'm, I'm surprised, although I, I agree with the consensus on it, but I'm I'm surprised the, you know, the, the breadth of it that... Wexford are going to win this. They're 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 playing the All Ireland champions, the league holders, a team that beat them quite convincingly in the Leinster final last mm. year, and yet the assumption is that Wexford are going so much better than Galway appear to be. That mm. it should be Wexford's match, particularly in down down at home in Wexford Park. So uh, it's 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 interesting from that point of view. It, it, it's kind of the tea leaves for for yes. this year. Like where are Galway? Mm. Because you know after winning in All-Ireland for the first time in nearly 30 years you just wonder about the impact on them uh, you know for, for, for this season and this weekend this Saturday is is the time we start to get a read on that like where, where are they actually Yeah because it's interesting a couple of weeks ago when they were playing Limerick I was kind of going right well here's where we see where they are and then it, like they didn't play badly against Limerick, but Limerick were very clearly more up for it th- than Galway or Limerick were going. We are not spending another year in this bloody Division One B. We are getting out of it, and whereas the same sort of motivation wasn't really there with Galway, 
uh, and so I, I'm almost loath to to kind of build this one up as uh, as right. This is where we're going to see Galway because you know they have to flip a switch at some stage. Maybe they do, and maybe they don't. Maybe maybe in the back of their heads they're you know getting through to to another two games in the league. Maybe it's a big deal for them. Maybe it isn't. I guess I guess we find out as it goes. Well, I think the significance of it in, in objective terms is that. Uh, one of their titles from last year is gone. Well, that's true. Too, when, when, when they lose this this weekend, although I agree, they might just be coming at it from a, from a different angle. I mean, in the past, Galway have uh, had plenty of false dawns with winning leagues mm. and looking the business in, in in April or May, and then having a disappointing championship. I'm sh- sure they'd be happy to do it the other way around. They, uh, Keith Wexford have. They've been I've had an interesting enough league. I did uh, did some stats for a piece last week about the amount of players that uh, each team has used, and in general, uh, with the sort of looming championship, most teams have have upped the amount of players they've used. They've sort of gone up. I think the average is sort of twenty nine to thirty uh, for each team across the the five games of the league so far. Whereas Wexford, and I actually talked to Davey Fitz about it, uh, have gone the other way completely. He says. I need 10 players beyond my first 15 and that's more or less it. And they've only used 25 players. So they've clearly decided, and his idea is that we want to put out our best team, we want to win all, all our games. So they're clearly, you know, on a, on a role that, that they're comfortable with. Yeah, I mean, they look really comfortable. They've, I think they've had a really impressive league. Um, I sort of, you know, I thought maybe at the start of the year that, that they might struggle a little bit but you know three wins two losses and you know their 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 defeats were they were sort of useful defeats in a way like uh, going down by three points Kilkenny and Nolan Park is fine you don't really want to you don't really want to throw more fuel on fire by, mm. by actually beating them again in there right now um, you know they, they held Cork to 1-14 cleared to 1-13 I think they've eight different scores in both of those games so they're just they're just performed really really well I think this is a perfect game for them at home against the All-Ireland Champions in the quarter-final um, with their with their Division 1 status retained um, Fitzgerald just seems to be really enjoying this this term and this team um, so yeah it makes and he, he really has them scrapping for everything they're, they're just yeah. not beaten until until that whistle goes so um, yeah it's, it's going to be an interesting encounter yeah I think yeah you're right actually they, they do seem to suit him in in a, in the way he has um he he kind of has a spine of a team there that that really suits him like they're so strong say Liam Ryan Matthew O'Hanlon Lee Chin Connor McDonald that's the that's the sort of middle of their team from back to front uh, and Mark Fanning in goals and and you know it's not although he is he's a fairly technical coach and and try and is not a, obviously not afraid to try things uh, it is still fairly you know that that first principles big strong guys through the middle who you can depend on to get their hand in the air and get the ball down and and take it from there that's his sort of first principles and it seems to be working for them seems to be working for them and they know their roles and they're just applying them and, and, and they're just playing with, 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 a, with a lot of confidence mm. um, I still think this is a big test for them on on, on, on um, at the weekend mm. um, and I think the the postponement may have may have done done Galway uh, some good um, if you look at the team that Galway were due to put out for the the original fixture, I mean Canning, Joe Canning uh, was to come back in, John Hanbury as well, uh, Jack Coyne uh, was to come into the full forward line. So I kind of feel that that Galway are pretty interested in in in, in winning this and and pushing on if they can and, and defending that league title. 
Sean, the other game of note this weekend is obviously the replay to the club final. You were there last Sunday. I, finally, you know, we get a club final worthy of the name. They've been they've been fairly one sided in recent years, but this was this was an epic altogether. Yeah, it's funny because the uh, routinely over the last 15, 20 years, the club football final has outshone the mm. the hurling final, uh, which has tended to be one sided for for whatever reason. Even matches that were expected to be tightly contested weren't but it was the other way around uh, you know Corafin had Nemo Rangers dusted down you know, within about 10 minutes mm-hmm. you could see this the way this is heading um, I was talking to um, Cullum Keyes fr- fr- from the, the Indo uh, at the beginning of the match he, he was he was reporting on it and he was saying you know that wind that's a that's a five point wind uh, <laughs> Nemo need to be five or six up at half time they were ten down yeah. so you know that, uh, uh, that, the, the football final wasn't great but the hurling final yeah terrific, a terrific match uh, mm. really um, you always felt Napiercic had the edge but they just weren't able to drive home the mm. advantage or to move sufficiently into the distance to leave Kula behind them and uh, you know, it it, it, it it was really dramatic and on, on all the days to go to extra time when yes. the, you know the attendance was kind of cryogenically frozen in their seats <laughs> to have to spend an extra you know uh, half an hour around the place but uh, it was it was well worth it in terms of, of the game but but Kula I don't I I think the the movement of the game is accurately reflected in the fact that it took you know Kula uh, very late interventions to Stay in it, right? Yeah, you know, they an injury time in. penalty, yes. yeah. uh, or it wasn't a penalty; it was a twenty meter free, yeah. even harder to put in the net. But uh, the, Sean Moran managed to do it. Uh, David Tracy, whose free taking was impeccable all afternoon, twelve out of twelve, and uh, he lined up the free at the end of extra time to level it for them. But appears he would be disappointed that they didn't tidy it up the mm. first day. Yeah, they, I, it 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 struck me. As, it's very rare sometimes you you watch these club finals and with the best will in the world and I know we build them up but with the best will in the world you do look out and you see some club players like it's just you know that's what that's the nature of the beast the quality throughout the pitch on both sides with Napiercy and Kula like they're, if you go through the 30 players on the pitch you're only it's only a handful of them wouldn't have played at least underage representative stuff uh, with with either county like the, there's such quality on show all around the pitch yeah uh, i think uh, the Piercing in, in in particular you know their 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 attack uh, mm. half a dozen intercounty players yeah. eff- effectively yeah. and uh, i think what helped Kula was this their defence started so well, and their defence has always been an impressive aspect of the team. But they started so well, and Napiercic started so fitfully that that the, the quality of that attack didn't really come into play until you know the the, the match was well on. And uh, I, I think they'd be aiming for a better start because, mm. because in the semi final against Loch Neil, they were now we know that they players sent off in the second half, but. When it was fifteen on fifteen in the first half, Stockney were still three points ahead yes, at half time. Yeah, yeah. So Napiercic needs to sort out the slow start to, to, to matches, mm-hmm. um, you know, and and they'd be targeting that. Yeah. Well, listen, lads. Thanks very much uh, uh, for chatting with us about the weekend's GA. Thanks, Mary, so much for helping me out again. Okay. You're excused now. Yeah. That's it. That's it until the next time. Uh, thanks to Emmett, uh, who was on with us from Turkey earlier on. And thanks to everybody who listened. Uh, in hit us up on Twitter. You can get me at Maliki Clerken. Uh, you can get added time at irishtimes.com is the email address. And we'll see you all next week. <laughs>